When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Drifter Sympathy on Feral Audio. Go to feralaudio.com and click Shop Amazon to shop through their Amazon portal. Proceeds support this and other Feral Audio podcasts. Back in college, both me and you, Duncan. Hello. Both of us had to work for our room and board at our work school. They positioned me in HVAC, so I was underneath this guy who had testicular cancer. No way. Yeah, he did. And he was wildly bitter. By all accounts, they kept me there at the school because I was the only person that could translate to him. Because everybody hated him. They thought he was the meanest, most cruel boss. He would reel off these stories about how he had his sniper rifle on Noriega and all this stuff, you know. Wow. Yeah. Just You just never could really believe him, but... um, So this is like a delusional man. I didn't really have time to doubt him, you know. He was pretty cruel to me, too, but he also liked me... For whatever reason, I've always had a a pattern of dealing with really difficult people. I gravitate towards difficult people, and then I become often like a translator or mediator for them. Right. So on any normal work day, I would be down in this dungeon on these beautiful North Carolina days. You know, I wouldn't be outside with other work crews like the carpentry crew. I would be down in this boiler room dungeon that seemed metaphorically chosen for me, like this punishment. I started to pick up books to take down there because I had nothing to do. It was the art of wasting time on your job. And so I picked up Damien. I feel like you even maybe came with me to a library sale and we got a bunch of books. And we were both getting to Herman Hess. I don't really know why. Do you remember? It's like something you do in college. You just like find him and then you're immediately, it just, it, it connects with that phase of your life in such a perfect, magical way. He kind of writes about that period of of a young boy's development anyway. Right. It was Damien and Narcissus and Goldman that I was reading down in that boiler room, and something clicked. As, As you probably remember, he used to see Carl Jung was his therapist. Whoa, no, I didn't know that. Now that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. The rumor was that he struggled with temptations of pedophilia or something. Oh, shit. Those books always have two boys and maybe some sexual undertones of their attraction to each other in Damien. That was all about the power that the kids felt coming from the other person. In, In the middle of a big crowd, they just focused in on this other person. Everybody else became meaningless. Narcissus and Goldman is about like weaving through life with that other person and the trials and tribulations that both of these people face in their destiny. So I'm sitting down in that boiler room reading those books and definitely seeing these parallels with me and you and the guru that I came to college preaching the gospel of, you know, right. which you know very well. When you think of the basic central character of what drew you towards those books, was it the myth of the outsider or was it the alleviation of your own suffering or a form of therapy? Freedom. It was freedom. Siddhartha was really cool because he leaves the world and goes into the forest. It's obviously loosely based on the path of the Buddha. He goes into the forest 
among the renunciates and there's something that is so incredibly appealing and beautiful about that aspect of the universe that at any given time if you have the guts you can completely evacuate your reality tunnel and enter into a whole new place when you're in college it seems so possible more than when you get older because you feel the various burdens of your incarnation or the invisible and imaginary manacles holding you to a some kind of gravitational field that you invented so you pretend that it doesn't apply when you get older but it's always there so i think that's what i liked about his characters is they were free they were autonomous beings i think maybe i didn't know it at the time but now i when i revisited siddhartha it's like oh yeah that's so beautiful that idea of standing in front of his father his will so powerful that he is going to die if his father doesn't set him free ah oh, it's so intoxicating those archetypes man they they're so beautiful and and it's so funny how both of them in different ways represent a form of actualization and people are so not interested in that kind of actualization that they begin to worship the symbol without experiencing the true conversion which is becoming the symbol and this is something that Jack Cornfield says to me sometimes is we don't want you to be a buddhist we want you to be the buddha and that's fucking cool man because so many people are an ist instead of being the thing itself you know when you were saying the gospel of this guru that's the gospel of all gurus and when you meet an actualized person you're always blown away because you feel like you're around a wild animal because you are usually you're around a thing that is not bound by the imaginary social rules that are constraining most people in a kind of contorted life so when i started to talk to you about the gospel of my guru that i brought to yes. the school because if you knew me you knew my guru yes whatever lessons i was trying to betray or tenets he embodied why do you think when someone tells you about their guru like that why do you think it's like you feel like you know that person what were you sensing that you needed to come towards and you wanted to meet that person Well you were not I mean it's really cool to meet some kind any kind of rebellious spirit that's real is awesome. So when you see somebody who is really doing the amazing acrobatics of putting themselves in the predicament of following their own path. It's amazing. So you know I'd never met anyone like you before. So I had never come into contact with like a real artist. I never come into contact who was actually making stuff and I never had come into contact with somebody who seemed so disturbed. <laughs> and 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 in a cool way though, like in a really cool way, but I remember like you were going through something incredible, you know, and 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 whatever you were going through was a clear result or a fruition of this path that you had chosen for yourself. And it was a really beautiful thing. to witness this in this liberal arts college this person who seemed to just be living through some kind of dostoevsky-esque horror or, or, or trouble or, or or like in the beginning you know you were very it was you're just wild man you were like a wild creature and i had been mostly around non-wild creatures and so being around a real wild creature is a very exciting thing for a person who maybe wants to be like that too. There is a poem that I still to this day I will see if I can do it every time I read Aitira and it's so weird and I don't even know fucking why man. It's called The Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock by T.S. Eliot and there's this line in it. This is to explain the wild being, right? 
And the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock, to me, does seem to be about a person who chose the other way, who chose the way of not wildness and felt that regret at the end of the life of like, oh, I really didn't, I guess I really didn't do it, this go around. It goes, oh, see, I, I will watch this. I will tear up. I don't know why. It's <laughs> <laughs> so weird. No, I am not Prince Hamlet, nor was meant to be. I'm an attendant lord, one that will do to swell a progress, start a scene or two, advise the prince, no doubt an easy tool, deferential, glad to be of use, politic, cautious and meticulous, full of high sentence but a bit obtuse, at times indeed almost ridiculous, almost at times the fool. I grow old, I grow old, I shall wear the bottoms of my trousers rolled, shall I part my hair behind, do I dare to eat a peach? I shall wear white flannel trousers and walk upon the beach. This is where it always gets me. <laughs> Every time, it's the craziest thing. I have heard the mermaids singing each to each. I do not think that they will sing to me. I have seen them riding seaward on the waves, combing the white hair of the waves blown back. When the wind blows the water white and black, we have lingered in the chambers of the sea by sea girls wreathed with seaweed red and brown till human voices wake us and we drown. Oh, fuck. Fucks me up every time, man. But particularly, I've heard the mermaids singing each to each. I do not think that they will sing to me. And that is the song. The mermaids, these beings out in the fucking ocean. The ocean, of course, being the great representation of the field of phenomena that we're all inside of. And here are these beings that perfectly swim inside of that field. He's heard their singing. They're talking to each other, but they'll never sing to him because he's not one of them. He's outside the ocean, outside the thing. So when you meet somebody who seems to be a mermaid or someone who is like a wild thing, a mythologically wild thing, it's incredibly attractive because it indicates to you that there is hope for you and this is the disciplic succession this is the guru who is actualized teaches a thing to a person who goes out into the world and in some way or another accidentally or intentionally continues to spread that spark and if you're lucky enough to cross paths with a person like that you experience this vast personal evolution which is why I attribute a lot of that of my personal evolution to coming into contact with you and I think that's why I instinctually sensed that you figured something out that I needed to learn. Of course, Star Wars was was like important to anybody our age or whatever. But you never know which part's going to make you feel emotional. It was just when Luke hasn't left his original home and he goes up out of his little like bunker and he just looks out at the two suns. I was like, oh my God, why am I so sad? And I think it's because he hasn't yet lived, but he gazes out into his life, you know, and it's already all happened. The music and him looking into the sunset, there's some sort of acknowledgement that like destiny overrides everything that, you know, and he's already lived and then that the story is already written. Now I think we stand on a pretty secure part of a mountain that we're climbing or whatever. But at the time, I mean, there was no predicting if we would die early or what would happen to us. Oh, I think we probably both just assumed we would die early. (laughs) Probably. I mean, that's part of being young is you can't see past your hand. We all know that a meal is best when the ingredients are high quality. Blue Apron works directly with farms to secure the freshest, sustainable ingredients, pre-portioned so there's no guesswork, an 
and sends them along with easy to follow recipes. Packages stay refrigerated for a full day, so you don't have to worry about being home for the delivery. It's a great way to try new meals without a lot of stress. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash email. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash E-M-I-L. Blue Apron. Dojin, the Zen master, he says, remember, you are like a fish in a puddle. Remember, that's what your life is, a fish in a puddle. And that puddle is rapidly evaporating. And as long as you stay in that place, you don't have to be J. Alfred Prufrock lamenting over growing old, but you can experience the wildness in any given moment. This is the beauty and the promise of Buddhism and all spiritualities that have as a central tenet the idea of some form of actualization or enlightenment, which is that you can, whenever you want, get out of the thought prison that you're in and re-experience, or experience for the first time, however you want to put it, what it is to be a vibrant living being and there's no regret there because you come out of time. Yeah, and you feel the the immediate sense that it's always accessible, too. Yes. You're like, this is always here. That's it. Will you explain, since I don't even know the full extent of your metaphor, but will you explain what the experiencing the lecturer is? Oh, yes. I love I call it the lecturer. There's other names. I've heard other people mention it before. Sometimes we'll hear it in dreams where you'll come out of a dream and it's as though you've been hearing a very rhythmic kind of almost like you've been listening to some form of lecture or something going on in some interdimensional university. Like guidance. Yeah, guidance, but it's not specifically personalized for you. It's almost like you've tuned into a recording of some radio station that's playing this kind of like message that you is very useful, whatever it's saying, but it's not necessarily completely focused on you. It seems to be for a broader audience of which you're some part. I was in Hawaii and I took a massive dose of CBD and THC. And I think it's because I'd just done this meditation retreat, maybe, I don't know. But suddenly I could hear it, like the channeled information. I could fucking hear it. It's like dun-da-dun-da-dun-da-dun-da-dun-da-dun-da-dun-da-dun. It was something like the paranoia a person experiences when they are high or coming to self-realization is the same feeling of anxiety someone might feel when they gaze upon the weeds in their yard. You're just seeing the garden of your life needs some tending and whatever the thing is that you're worried over is a as simple as a weed that you can easily remove from your yard and you can plant a fresh harvest. And this is the other thing the voice was saying, which is really cool, was it's not the feeling of love that matters. It's that there exists in the human experience the tendency towards love. The tendency is what matters, not the love itself. The love is icing on the cake. If you just recognize that you exist in a species that has the tendency to selfishness, but also the tendency to love, then you can just begin to tune into that thing itself which is a little more understandable than the concept of love which is a really difficult concept we think it's emotion we think it's some feeling we think it's something when i was talking to ramdas about this at the retreat that's what i was saying is like what is love it's an under what i feel emptiness i feel emptiness mostly what is love and he said emptiness is love 
that is love is really a cool answer. But that, so anyway, that's the, the, a lot of what the sort of was coming to me as I was super high and it was coming in this very rhythmic, luxury way. It, it, and it felt like whatever it was saying, it was like, Vast and or just this. It's amazing you retained what you heard. I wrote it down because most of the time you lose it, right? You lose it. Yeah. Yeah. You. It's easy to lose. It's like trying to. It's. It's like trying to like hold a snowflake or something. It melts yeah. right away. Let's say you've evaporated, you know, you don't exist, and you're drifting through endless black space, and you're kind of looking around, and maybe you see something off in the distance, you know, but you decide to go towards it, and as you get closer, you start to see what it is, like a form out of the darkness, you start to see what it is. And then maybe it's a planet, maybe it has like terrain and it starts to come into focus and then like words start rotating around the earth and you start reading them and it's talking to you extremely intelligently, like really well worded lessons, except you're just high terrified in your bed. Yeah. Part of the reason why it seems like maybe this message is going out to all people and not just you is that the drug has its own character, has its own message for all people. I mean, all people that take LSD come away with extremely identical lessons. Yeah. George Harrison, I feel like, talks about it all the time. That acid was the thing that kind of woke him up. And made him realize there is religion. Like, what's religion? Why would I ever need that? That's right. That's what, I mean, that is the the gift of LSD and of psychedelics and is is that very thing. Is that it's a, it awakens you. It's a, it's its own missionary. It's a, it's a chemical missionary. Do you think that gurus are often just people who have heard the lecturer voice coming from very far away and they've come up close to it and they've huddled so close to a source that they're just kind of letting it come through them? But it's it's not really them. It's not their knowledge or anything. But yes. they're just they followed it to such a point that they're up near the mouth of a river of it just to get back to the idea of like an internal glacier. You begin to confuse the iceberg encasing your happiness with who you are. And the more that you start moving in the direction of, of this place that the lecturer and the gurus and the teachers all yap about, the more that thing will melt. And if that's what you've been defining yourself as, then your identity begins to dissolve. And then eventually your identity I would imagine completely evaporates and now you're you are the voice you're no longer the thing going towards the voice this is actually in the story of Hanuman the monkey god uh, is talking to Ram god at one point Ram is so impressed with this amazing monkey that he says to him Hanuman what are you and Hanuman says when I forget who I am I serve you. When I remember who I am, I am you. It's almost like some sort of Kafka story where he like finds a way into a casino or something and no one in the casino in a Twilight Zone way knows that there's anything outside of the casino, that they're all convinced that the casino itself, like a Twilight Zone, is the universe or something. And, and so to keep on existing, you just have to keep playing the games, keep playing the slots, or else, yes. you know, you can't leave because that would be death, you know. Well, that, and it's, it's, that's the very funny thing about it is because you're dead. It's the dead trying to stay dead. 
That's what's really funny about it. It's like a casino filled with zombies who have to consistently keep killing themselves. Anytime, like, any kind of heartbeat starts emerging, like, you have to, like, stab the heartbeat to, like, try to go back into this numb-down state. And, and, and that's what's hilarious about it is every single fucking thing that you've been avoiding is life. And everything that you mostly have been experiencing is death. And so it's really, it's the whole situation is reversed. And a lot of people say that's why when you die, you get to live. Once you actually jump over the fence and start running, you're like, oh my God, this feels so fucking good. Yeah. And if you show that to somebody else, they're going to get addicted to it immediately if they can get over the fence of their fear, which it most likely, you know, won't. Yeah. I like the fence thing. I think of it as like the, the lifeguard zone. There's like always a zone. It's such a funny thing where there's always a zone at the beach where you're supposed to. You can't go out of. You're not supposed to go out of. And there's like lifeguards that sit and watch. And if you like go over the line, they blow a whistle. It's so funny. And you'll have people in your life who'll blow the whistle on you if you start like going over the line. It's really funny. Like, hey, you can't go out there. You know, that's where you get eaten by a shark. But you don't. The same sort of random upsets happen within the safety zone and you go to the lifeguard and you're like, what happened here? And then they just shrug their shoulders and be like, well, shit happens. Yeah. I mean, it's like, so why have I been following your rules? Yeah, you don't have to. But really, where it gets even funnier is you're the fucking lifeguard. Usually, it's not another person blowing the whistle. You're blowing the whistle on yourself. So, like, you start hitting the boundaries of your life, and you're like, oh, I can't. That's why that poem is so good, because he says, do I dare to eat a peach? (laughs) Like, the most harmless thing. He's saying, do I have the guts to take a bite of the sweetest, most delicious fruit there is? And it's beautiful, man, because that's really the thing. You're asking yourself, the, th- the fear you're talking about is fear of eating sweet things. It's the fear of orgasm. For whatever reason, we got hurt. Okay, I'm not going to do that again. That's the last time. If you break my heart, you'll be the last person I'm ever with. That thing. And it's like, no, I'm not going to break your heart. How do we heal a broken heart? It's a, The best thing is a broken heart. It's not your heart that broke. It's the safe around your heart that broke. That's all. It's not the heart. The heart doesn't break. Right, right. It's the protection device that's actually breaking, which could be part of this essential turning point, this, this good thing. Oh, God. I mean, your heart breaks when your parents die. When my mom died, my heart broke. And I cried on and off for about a year. And, oh... How good did that feel? Laying in bed with a broken heart and hot fucking tears rolling down your eyes. And you felt it, man. Now you see the truth. Now you see the truth. Moms die. You die. This is real life. Here's where we're at. Fish in a puddle. And it feels fucking great. It feels so good to be out there in the truth. When you're out there in the fucking wilderness, you are in direct contact with the truth. Everything that you do will either keep you alive or everything that you do will lead to your eventual, like, having to tap out. And that feels good because you know where you stand. And that's why these things, really, these heartbreaks, is like, now you see where you are. See where you are? See where you stand? You see the world you're in, a world of impermanence. You see the world you're in, a world where everything changes. The worst thing you ever could imagine when you were a kid. When I was a kid, I can remember realizing my mom was going to die. We all realize it at some point when you're a kid and you think, if my mom dies, my life will be over. I won't be able to do anything. Mommy, I never want you to die. You have to stay alive forever. And then... It happens. The worst thing, your worst fear as a child happens. And you're like, oh, this is just more love. Now I know my mom even more. Now I feel more connected to my mom. Now I feel what she really was and what she really is. It's wild, man. It's wild. All of these things are the fucking goddamn Wizard of Oz. 
And then the dog pulls the curtain back, which, by the way, that's what apocalypse translates into, is lifting of the veil. Then the apocalypse happens, the curtain gets pulled back, and standing there is just this sweet little old man who's been trying to trick you the whole time. And he gives you little silly rewards, and you move on your way. You actualize. But really, the thing he gave the people in The Wizard of Oz was just little imaginary things. They were the ones who made the decision to be actualized. Nothing changed. Except they suddenly had the confidence, you know. So this is why these things are great. This is why heartbreak is great. What's better than realizing that you can sustain yourself on the land? I think it was Aristotle said, as an equation, happiness equals self-sufficiency. Yes, and self-sufficiency is really recognizing that you're supported by the universe. And when you recognize that you're supported by the universe, you come back home. Because that's how you felt when you were home. When you were a kid, you felt supported by the universe. You were supported. Your parents were supporting you. They were feeding you, giving you shelter, giving you a bed. In the same way, when you realize that the universe is your parents and that the universe is sustaining you, woo, that is a fucking great feeling, man. It's a wild feeling when you start realizing like, oh, I'm getting taken care of here. This is the differentiation between what you want versus what you need. You might not be getting what you want. You might not be getting a constant stream of blowjobs, or you might not be getting, like, the world throwing flower petals at your feet, or you might not be getting, like, some kind of whatever the the fantasy is that you have, but you'll notice you're getting food most of the time. Most of the time you're not getting rained on, and most of the time you're able to metabolize food And then you realize, oh, wow, I'm doing great. And this is why one of my favorite stories is the story of Diogenes and Alexander. According to legend, Alexander the Great came to visit the Greek philosopher Diogenes of Sinope. Alexander wanted to fulfill a wish for Diogenes and asked him what he desired. Because Diogenes was, I think he lived in a a barrel. He was naked. He was just in rags. Alexander went in person to see him and found him lying in the sun. Diogenes raised himself up a little when he saw so many people coming towards him and fixed his eyes upon Alexander. Now, Alexander was so amazed with this being, because like all awakened beings, they have a luminescence. So this is why the saints are usually drawn with some form of halo around them. They radiate. They radiate a thing. It's not really, it's called the clear light. And it pours out of him. And you it's undeniable. So even like time and space seem to warp around them a little bit. Like the normal laws of nature don't seem to work around them. And in fact, I think the phenomena of miracles, where people attribute that to like a saint is doing miracles, I think that's not that the saint isn't doing anything, but synchronicities seem to happen in great in these incredible, like, infinite ways around them all the time. These little eddies of synchronicities always, like, zooming around them. So that's why when people around them, weird shit's always happening. It's not them doing it. It's just the way nature seems to react with an awakened being for some reason. So Alexander's so amazed by this guy that he's like, what do you want? I will give you anything that you want. And so Diogenes says... Can you move a little bit to the right? Because you're standing in my sun. (laughs) It's so cool, man. This is the eternal, transcendental, rebellious message that the saint is always giving to power. Now, that's a brilliant way. I mean, that really is a brilliant way to diss Alexander the Great. Because he's like, bitch, you ain't the sun. Yeah, that's what he was saying. There's another version of the story where they came to Jesus and they asked him, like, what about paying taxes? And he said, show me what your coins. And he's like, who's on the coin? And they're like, Caesar's picture is on the coin. And Jesus says, give what is Caesar's unto Caesar. He's like, yeah, have your fucking little metal discs, monkey man. <laughs> <laughs> We don't care. And this is, of course, the invitation of the mystic, right? Is always like, look, look, you don't need this stuff. Stuff you want, you don't really need it. And in fact, the stuff that you want is maybe keeping you from being really, really happy. But like Ramdas says, sometimes you got to drive the red sports car 
Sometimes you gotta experience what it's like to be encased in material bullshit just so you can really realize you don't need it. This is the Mark Twain quote. Religion is what happened when the first con man met the first fool. And it's like, look, you're a fool. If you find yourself railing against some nefarious guru, guaranteed you're the one who took the pilgrimage there. You're the one who got in his presence. You're the one who had the expectations. You're the one who had the expectations broke. You're the one who reacted angrily. You're the one who had the drama seizure. You're the one who went around with your tail between your legs like, I guess the world is truly bereft of any real love. It's all a game you're playing. He's playing the game of the horny guru. You're playing the game of the broken-hearted disciple. And it's a game, and it's a fun fucking game to play, I guess. But it's like, if a guru has disappointed you, then you have been given a gift from the guru. Well, you're getting jaded because somebody wasn't God? Well, that's your fault, you idolater. You're the one who turned something into God. You're the one who turned an external thing into God. This can only end in absolute disappointment. Whether it's a, you've decided your relationship is your path to happiness, your job is your path to happiness, any of these externals that you're allowing yourself to believe are your path to happiness, you're going to get a big smackdown in one way or another because as far as I, I can tell, that's just something blocking your son. When you heard the gospel of my guru and and you felt yourself just interested in wanting to meet him, yeah, and you eventually did, yeah, what do you remember was coming through that that tale? Just more wildness and more of this freedom thing that you were looking well, for. Well, you played that music for me while I was on acid, and I'd never heard anything like. And I was like, "That's the most amazing shit I ever heard in my life." Yeah. This is incredible. And then... And your head was already kind of breaking open with the Daniel Johnson and the yeah. and, and the early Centrado. That's great. That so you so were kind of primed for it, maybe. Yeah, and it was, you know, it came at a good time. It was like... And, and by the way, not everybody is the Maharishi. Some people really do, at least temporarily become actualized some people are fucking amazing man they're amazing and they're not trying to rip you off they're just living and it's part of what they're doing is they're transformative you get around them you get transformed and it's beautiful the asshole is doing everything they can to trap you and the guru is doing everything they can to free you and so that's the difference a guru is just like whatever your particular hang-up is they're gonna like figure out a way to get you unhung up about it. You know, what do they say? When a pickpocket sees a saint, all he sees are pockets. It's like, you're really, a lot of what you're seeing is a projection anyway, so they're freeing you. Must be very difficult to find someone who's not completely aware of this entire power web that they could be part of if they're made into the guru. You know what I mean? It's like, and even in the 60s when you see Maharishi and you see Rajneesh, I mean, whether or not they were for real or whatever, they clearly know their market. I think they were bringing people really interesting knowledge for the for the West, especially at that time. But as a salesman, as a marketer, they were hyper genius. They were very, very smart. Right. And that was kind of a new era, you know, a new era of knowing how to use celebrities to sell your brand. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they were definitely really, really good savvy. at that. It could be what you're selling is is completely valid, though. So it's kind of the middleman that we're talking about, you know, the messenger. You know, we need doctors, we need teachers, we need psychologists. So it is nice to have spiritual teachers. And Ram Dass and Neem Karoli Baba and Raghu Marcus and all these people, they really have, in a kind of artful way, freed me from a lot of fucking bullshit, bullshit 
programs that I was running. Just as much as a chiropractor helps you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and the way they did it was not what not what you'd necessarily call like romantic. There was no, no robes or you know, there wasn't much of a ritual around it. They were just like taught me in their own way how to love or what love is. And they still do. Do you have any memories about when we went up to Boston and we were taking ass in the car oh, at spring break? Yeah. Is it all a blur to you? Or no, you- that was the beginning of a long depression for me, man. I was so depressed. I was brokenhearted over Tracy. Because we were back from India. Yeah. Okay. I just remember being brokenhearted and like thinking about like like in that moment I could have had such a blast with you guys, but I was still in the phase of my life where I was, okay. you know. I was still at the phase of my life where, like, I was either, like, the worst kind of in, in love you can be. <laughs> God. So you, you had kind of been lowered further down into this vat of your own self-loathing. You thought a girl could make you, was the answer. Yeah. I spent a lot of my life thinking that, man. We had some arguments about that. In India, like, you would set up, like, a little... Almost like a little altar with her pictures, you oh, know? Oh, God, I did do that. Yeah, and I just remember thinking... <laughs> See what I mean? If you worship false gods, yeah. the universe will crush you for it. And but, but actually, the universe isn't crushing you. The universe is freeing you from the, uh, the, the thing that was keeping you from being happy. Yeah. That's why I say this is not heartbreak. Quite often the thing that you think is heartbreak is the initial rush of exultation that comes from being a free human being. It's not heartbreak. It's just the universe has snipped a little bit of the delusion that was tricking you into thinking you were happy. So, yeah, I don't remember setting up the Tracy altars, but I'm sure I had put to probably had a picture, right? I put a picture out or something? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure anyone listening, especially some girlfriend somewhere is like that is so wonderful oh no 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 healthy girlfriend thinks that's wonderful you don't want some fucking guy setting up a fucking that's kind of scary right no it's just it's terrible i mean god jesus but i did i was so oh god oh my god oh wait (laughs) oh that's your journals yeah this is a journal from india dude Oh, God. I mean, I'm, ne- I'm never going to read this, but... Uh, yeah, I would be scared to go back. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's amazing. I mean, I'm, I'm terrified to read these things, but I'm sure there's something... <laughs> I'm not going to read this. But, like, I'm sure... I'm trying to find something here where... Oh, look, here's a poem that I wrote... Here's some letter that I was going to send to somebody. Uh, But I'm sure in here is me moaning over Tracy somewhere in here. And... Oh, wait. (laughs) Okay, I'll read this. Oh, guys, please forgive me, friends. I was insane. (laughs) Oh, fuck. Okay. I can't read. (laughs) Why not? Because it makes me want to vomit. This is old you. This is new you. The days you. extend forever. How long before I see Tracy? If eternity slashed us asunder, then forever I would be cut. <laughs> I wish you just slapped me. You know, the, the thing is, um, I used to do that, man. I used to do that, and 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 uh, that was my game, and it was it was just so fucked up because not not only because it's just like clearly like as weak as you can be, it's delusional, and God Jesus, what what a terrible weight to put on someone to to make them the source of your happiness. I'm gonna be cut forever if you if you do your own life. I'm going to be cut forever. P.S. When you read that, there's nothing in there about her. 
It's all about me. Right, right. Don't hurt me. Don't do this to me. Don't do this to me, 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 me. Nothing in there about the other person. Just me, me, me. Ultimate, abject, black hole level selfishness. Completely, who gives a fuck? It's how you make me feel. Ugh, really, really, really fucking neurotic. But, yeah, that's what I used to do, man. I I would get caught up in people. and, uh, And that thing, like, over time that pattern would repeat so it repeated several times you know and it kind of climaxed at one point in my life I won't say with who but it, it reached this terrible peak and then after that it would keep repeating but gradually it diminished and now you had like been slapped on the hand in a way you learned a lesson at some point yeah eventually and way too late I mean, later than it should have happened, I came to the rather obvious conclusion that I I don't need another person in my life to be happy. That's so heavy to read that. What it is 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 it's like you construct a nipple that you pretend is the only source of happiness in the world, and then you guard that nipple. We talked about it on our podcast. You guard that nipple... I'm just so embarrassed by what I just read. I don't know if, the, if I have the guts to let you put that up. If you guys heard that, then know it took a feat of courage. I think it falls within the realm of, like, making a piece of art. Now I mean, that it's 20 years later. It's so fucking crazy, though. It's so crazy. I know people like that. Oh, my Still. God. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and when they're like that, I see myself, and I always feel like, oh, man, you're going to get yeah. exploded. Yeah, and then, of course, the other thing that happens when when you're worshiping a false god, whether it's in the form of a person. And by the way, if you're in a codependent relationship with somebody where you've convinced yourself that they're the source of all your happiness, guaranteed, you, you don't even know who they are. You've exactly, you know, and you've I've felt that many times where someone's looking at me, but they're not even looking at me. They don't even know me. There's nothing I can do about that, and because I don't care at that point, I yeah. know that they're not capable of really giving a shit about me. Yeah, you know. So you're so you know in a weird way when you've done that to a person that you're in a relationship with, you're fucking a blow up doll. Yeah, you've like you you've turned them into a blow up doll. Or it's a form of like necrophilia in another way. Is you're just like you're engaged in a relationship with a thing that's not. It's not even necrophilia because at least necrophilia, the thing you're fucking, used to be alive. In this situation, the thing you're fucking doesn't even exist. It's right. a phantom. That tendency to worship a false god. What ends up happening is in mythology, people will say, "Don't worship false gods," and those who worship the false gods will attack those people. So when you're caught up in that kind of lunacy and some a friend comes to you and is like, hey, man, you're going to get fucked up from this. Yeah. But you're like, they don't understand. They're jealous of my love. Right. And you're just like, dude, this is blocking the sun. You've blocked the sun and you're pretending it's the sun. This is an artificial milk you're slurping at rather than the sweet, delicious mother's milk that's everywhere. Yeah, I used to do that, man. I used to do that. I did that so many times that I'm quite embarrassed by it. But I guess if I hadn't have done that, who knows what would have happened? You know, it's that kind of dramatic, turbulent, those dramatic, turbulent periods where you're like, what the fuck am I doing? It seemed clear that it was better to burn your hand on the burner pretty bad, better than just so mildly touching it. You just kind of can leave it there your whole life. Oh, what a genius thing to say. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because that's the other thing. All all you out there who maybe still are putting your version of Tracy on your altar. (laughs) Here's the thing. The thing happens where your girl goes for another guy or your guy goes for another girl. You don't realize that that guy or that girl has freed you from holding your hand on a stove and experiencing a mild yet uncomfortable lifelong sizzle. And that's a great gift, which is why in a weird way, even though you can't do it because you'll seem like an idiot and a lunatic, you should send flowers to whoever 
stole your love away because they truly have given you the greatest gift of all time because they've shown you that your love can't be stolen. You want to drive? Let's go.